today we're going to talk about money. The Bible talks about money quite a bit, and it's in a family series. Do you find that strange? Money rules from the Bible is what I'm calling this today. Here's why it's in a family series. Surveys reveal that the number one reason for division and divorce in marriage is money. Can you believe that? You wouldn't think that, but you know, someone overspending that's irresponsible, one of the partners, or just differences of opinion and the way these things should go. Well, God has a lot to say about this that would really bless families, so I want to talk about it today. It can cause amazing stress, or the, the principles of God's word can bring blessing that brings peace concerning these things. How many of you uh, like to watch the show Hoarders? Is there, are there any, any people? It doesn't mean you are. I know that because... My wife is one of the neatest people, a place for everything, everything in its place, and she loves hoarders, and I don't get it. I say, why? Yeah, I, I can't even stand it, and I'm messy, you know? And, and, and she says, it motivates me. Okay, I, I guess it could. Well, today I'm hoping this sermon will motivate you. Think of your finances when they get out of control and all these extra things come in and, and, and you've got too much that you shouldn't have and you haven't paid for it all and you keep collecting and you keep gathering. Think of this sermon as a way to clear it out, to get organized and to get your financial peace in order for your, for your family. It's an orderly way that I'm going to talk about today to get the unnecessary out and move the necessary in. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. It sets us free. The truth sets us free. I pray today, Lord, for marriages to be healed because of this sermon, for the beginning of freedom to come. And I pray for those who feel that there's no hope to see that there is hope in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I must say this at the start, because in a way, this is kind of a teaching, so I don't like to plagiarize, right? I'm taking much, almost all of what I'm getting out of this book today called Seven Money Rules for Life by Mary Hunt, who, by the way, will be at Warner Pacific later. You can go on Warner Pacific site, a college that's in Portland, to check it out. I really like it because it's a 21st century look, and she said it so well, I'm just going to use a ton of it today. And I just want to make that clear right off the bat so everybody knows. But the interesting thing about this lady, she had $100,000 of credit card debt at one point in her life. Over 100K. And you say, and you want me to read that? Well, she turned it around by following the principles. What I'm trying to do is tell some of you who think, you know, you're in over your heads and think, man, there's no hope. If you follow God's word and do your finances God's way, you can come out of the hole and you can be blessed as you move forward. So here's some rules. I, I condensed the seven to five for sake of time today, but I have pieces of all seven in here. Rule one, spend less than you earn. This is called pontificating the obvious. But it must be said in our culture. Spend less than you earn. That's true for business, and it's true for our personal lives. To do this, you have to start by being content with what you need, what you have. What you have may need to move to less, which is what you need. Our needs and our wants are two different things. The Bible ties these two together, contentment and the pursuit of riches, in 1 Timothy 6.6, 6, it says, Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing in, 
nothing with us when we came into the world and we can take nothing with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It doesn't say money is the root of all kinds of evil. It says the love of it is the root. And I would venture to say, how do you know if you love it? If you're overspending and you can't afford what you're doing and you have to have it to feel better about ourselves, then, then love is creeping in where it shouldn't be. Love, love for money, possessions, and material things. Some people craving money, the Bible says, have wandered from the true faith and pierce themselves with many sorrows. Surveys show us that 77% of U.S. households are living paycheck to paycheck. That means they, 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 could, they could potentially be out and on the street or in somebody else's home pretty quick if things, things go wrong. I love what John <clears throat> Bowguy, an 18th century theologian said. He said, contentment is a pearl of great price. And whoever procures it at the expense of 10,000 desires makes a wise and happy choice. And he's giving us a thought there that you really need to tap into today. Contentment is a choice. We tend to think, I'll get all the stuff that I want and then I'll be happy and I'll be content. No, you can be content now and honestly, you can be content with less than you have because it's a choice to be content. That contentment without having much is a lot better than a terrible, icky feeling that grips you every day because you're behind financially. And God's trying to help us when he shows us the difference between our needs and our wants. For instance, if, if you don't have the money and you're managing a payment on a big fancy car, let's say your payment is $600 a month and you don't have and that's easy to happen today, and you can do that with a $42,000 van that you and your family de deserve or, 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 or whatever the vehicle may be. And it's not necessarily wrong to have things, but it's, but it's wrong to, to overspend to the point where it's hurting you, it's hurting your family, it's putting you in a place where you can't even give. So do you really need the car? Well, if you can't afford it, you, let me tell you, you don't need it. Um... How about that phone upgrade? Just got to have it. The next technology's in. It's only $300. Come on, I need it for business. And Okay, uh, how about the best Christmas ever? I want my kids to have the best Christmas ever. What did you get for Christmas when you were a kid? I bet it's a lot less than you're giving your kids these days. And, and, and it's, it's funny how we, we somehow, not funny, it's terrible how we'll somehow say these things and little by little, we're adding some every time. And the difference is about $15,000 at the end of the year between that car payment and Christmas and that vacation you think you need if you say no to them. Wow. I mean, there's a lot of room within our hands to make choices that help us in our future and we can be content with what we have. That scripture mentioned food and clothing, be content. Let's, let's be honest. There might be a few here, but... Probably not. If you didn't have food or clothing, you're probably really old and you go back to the days of the Depression. You know, my, my dad had times like that where they didn't have food or clothing. But have you ever been hungry where you couldn't get a meal? Be honest, you know. 
you know, you're sitting in a class and it took an extra hour, right? Uh, uh, that's about all you could say. Have you had shoes every time you needed them? Well, I didn't have new shoes, but did you have shoes that worked? I mean, the truth is we don't have a lot of needs. We have a lot of wants. In 1950, the average new single family home in the U.S. was 983 square feet. <clears throat> and they did just fine. They loved each other. They had big families in those homes. It was normal for a family to have one bathroom and for two or three children to share a bedroom. <clears throat> that happened in our home growing up. <clears throat> Excuse me. By 1970, the average home grew to 1,695 square feet with two bathrooms. By 2008, the average home had expanded to 2,629 square feet with multiple bathrooms, and the addition of a family room was considered standard fare. What's happened to us? Why are we doing this? We need granite counters. I mean, after all, we're going to have to live in this home, aren't we? We have to live here. For a long time, we need it to be pretty when we walk in. We need those new curtains right now because we're just, well, we're just tired of the same old look. But if we don't have the money, we need to distinguish between a want and a need. And these things are killing us. We need to stop hoping that someday, somehow, if we work hard enough, we'll make enough money to have all the things that will finally make us happy. And we need to be content right now. I like to say happiness is a road that I'm on, not a destination that I'm trying to reach. You don't need it to be happy. Go to Cambodia with the team this year. You don't need it to be happy. They're happy. Those believers don't have much at all. They're content in their hearts. I'm not saying you should take a vow of poverty. Don't get me wrong. I'm talking about living beyond your means. Contentment is choosing to be happy with what you have while not always desiring something more. Contentment is not something we achieve. It is a choice we make. I'm going to be content. I have to tell my brain that. No, no. I like, I like what I have. Can I tell you something? Just unfriend the Joneses right now. Just unfriend them. Take them right off your Facebook, all right? Because they went way over their heads and they're in debt like crazy and you can't see it on Facebook, all right? Now, if your name is Jones, I forgive me, but you know what I mean. You know, keeping up with the Joneses, right? Just unfriend them, man. Don't go there. Be happy now. They're buried in debt. They're just trying to impress you. Make a decision to downsize if necessary. You see, I have to make more money. I have to make more money. There's another option if you don't have the means. Downsize. Get a smaller payment. For your home. Recently, I had, a, I had a pretty big car payment and I just got tired of it. And I dumped the car payment and I drive a 2002 Passat that is completely paid for. And it gets me where I need to go. And you know how I feel when I get in that car and I drive around? Often I think, I love this because there's no payment attached to it. Get a scratch on it, who cares? It's just an old car. Broken windshield, I don't think I really need to replace that. You, I mean, there's a freedom in it, believe me. <clears throat> Philippians 
I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Rule two. God's money rules. Rule two. Give to God. Now, I, I really believe what I'm about to say, and some people might argue with, with me about it, and there are people who have different opinions, and I certainly want to allow for that. I believe it's possible to give your way out of debt. And I think you need to start with the tithes. Now, I would never tell you something that I don't do when it comes to this money thing. I tithe. And I give beyond the tithes. Matter of fact, I give more to missions than I do to my retirement. Because I, I believe this, that's a retirement plan too. <laughs> of a different sort. Lake treasures up in heaven where, where no one can steal and take away. <clears throat> Malachi 3.8 says this. Will a man rob God? Surely not. Now rob, that's a strong word. And in the Hebrew it means rob. Like a thief. Surely not, and yet you have robbed me. What do you mean? When did you ever rob me? You have robbed me of the tithes and offerings due to me. This is the Lord talking to his people. And so the awesome curse of God is cursing you. Your whole nation has been robbing me. Now, the positive. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so that there will be enough food in my temple. And if you do, I'll open up the windows of heaven for you and pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Huh. So if you believe God, what he says is, if you give me the tithe, then I'm going to take care of you and cover you even better than it would be normally. Much better. I'm going to open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that you cannot contain. Now, I was... um, in, in Cookville, you don't say Cookville in Tennessee, you say Cookville, Tennessee, to see Karen's family. I'd never been there before, her uncles are there. We were just in Tennessee on vacation. And she has an uncle that I just love. He's been here several times, and <clears throat> one of the few that I knew in the family named Ted, Uncle Ted. He's as happy as he can be. Now, Uncle Ted has done really well in business. He's got his own business, as a matter of fact, a couple of them that he manages in retirement. He has other people run them, and he just kind of oversees a little bit here and there. Um, everything he's done has been blessed. He, now, now, he not only pays his tithe, but he does all the things that we're talking about. Because you, you can pay tithing and be completely irresponsible, and it'll still cause some issues, right? But if you take in totality the balance of what God says about your finances, and you tithe, you're, you're going to get covered. And here's what Ted told me. This is why I brought this up. Ted told me when I was there about a week ago. I don't know why he said it. He knows I'm a pastor. That must have been it. But he just brought it up. We're standing outside in the sunshine. And he says, I can't understand why people don't tithe. He said, I wouldn't do, you couldn't pay me enough to stop me from tithing. I be, he said, God's covered my finances. He's blessed me. He, and these young people, they don't get it. These are his words. He said, somebody needs to tell them. And I was thinking, huh. Who is that somebody? I might be one of them that needs to, needs to be telling you. Now, you don't have to do this, and I won't even know. But I promise you I wouldn't bring it up if you weren't my first thought, that you would be blessed. It's true that God's chosen to finance his church. It says bring the tithe to the storehouse. That's the local body. That's the place where you get fed from. It's true that the ministries from here flow out of the tithe. 
I find it amazing that we let staff members go, which we've done a couple times in the last few years, and people don't make a, they're upset, some of them, but they don't make a direct connection between the fact that they do not tithe and we had to let somebody go. Huh. Well, we have to live within our means, right? Because that's a godly principle as well. But God says, I, 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 I want to take care of my temple this way. He says in verse 11, your crops, here's what'll happen if you do it. Now this is for you, not for the church. Your crops will be large for I will guard them from insects and plagues. Let me paraphrase. Your business will be covered and I will prosper it and all the things that hit other businesses that drain them down, costs that take, uh, take them out will not take you out because I've got you. Some people might say, well, I, listen, I make a lot of money. People don't have as much to lose as I do if I tithe. Exactly. So why wouldn't you want God to cover all that? You get his covering. You get his, you get his blessing over the whole thing. Your grapes won't shrivel away before they ripen, says the Lord Almighty. Emphasis on almighty in charge of everything. You say, I'm gonna lose. Well, let me make a commitment to you. I've done it for 21 years. I think this was the Sunday 21 years ago that I was voted in as senior pastor here. And for 21 years... Um, I, I've, I've, I've said this, that if, if you will tithe for the next three months and the Lord doesn't bless you, we will give you all three months of your tithes back. I've not had one taker in 21 years that's ever asked for it back. Now, because you have to commit, because even three months is hard, right? You think, okay, how am I gonna manage that 10%? Holy cow, the bottom will drop out. But if you don't tithe, you won't see as many miracles of God. What? How can you know that he'll take care of you if you don't let him, if you don't trust him? And if you tithe, you'll see, you'll see provision come in a place that totally surprised you. You'll see need met. I, I honestly, truly believe these things. I've seen them so much in my life. If I had $5, I would tithe on it. I would, I promise you. Because I believe this and I've seen the Lord move so much. And look, the Bible is saying it's an if and a then thing. If you'll believe me, test me in this. This version of the Bible said, try me. It's an if and then I will. If you will, then I will, he says. So if you won't, then he doesn't. Matthew 23, 23 is Jesus speaking. And he said, you should tithe, yes. There are some people who say that the tithing's not cooperated in the New Testament. Not only is it not, it's cooperated, but Jesus said it. He goes on to say, don't neglect the more important things. So, you know, to, to live in love and, and the principles of God's word, we don't abandon those because love is the greatest. But Jesus said you should tithe, yes. Now, let me throw in here as well, and I believe this is beyond the tithe because the word tithe means 10% in the Hebrew. That's the original language that we just read you out of Malachi. And the, the passage says, you, you've robbed me of the tithe and the offering. So there's the tithe, that's 10% that God says to bring to the storehouse. And then beyond that, there's the special offering. That's beyond 10%. You say, pastor, you're gonna clean me out. No, I'm not. You, God loves a cheerful giver. Don't do it if you can't do it from your heart. But if you can get there, your joy will grow when you see what he does for you. 
So the offerings often will come to you for the poor in our community. And we'll give out of our resources that are gathering the tithe. There's a portion that goes to the community with our budget to reach out. But we'll come to you for Cambodia or for other areas. And, and here's what it says in Proverbs 19:17: If you help the poor, you are lending to the Lord and he will repay you. Now, you don't have to come, wait till you get here to get an offering for the poor, right? Because they're around you. And there are other things that the Lord will speak to your heart about. And I say that when you should give is when the Lord really speaks to your heart, right? Not when I do. Good grief, I could get in the way of everything. But if you'll seek him and you say, Lord, what would you have me to do here? He will give you something in your heart that he would have you to do. And church, we need to be about helping the poor. We really do. They're all around us. And, and we need to be about helping those families if they're living month to month and they lose a job. The, the, you know, the church is you. So if, if, if you know a family, bless them, help them. You don't even have to tell them where it comes from. But we're here to, to bless those that have need and, and take, take care of them. And God says, you're lending to him. And I'm gonna tell you something about lending to God. He pays big interest back. He just does. He's always good on his debts. And he said, you're lending to him. And he will repay you. If you obey me, then I'll bless you. That's the emphasis. And the more I see that I can trust you, the more I will bless you. Rule three. Save for the future. Proverbs 21, 20. In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all he has. One of the worst things that has happened is the advent of the credit card. It is now our emergency fund. How in the world do you think 40, 50, 60 years ago, how did they deal with surprise debt that came, in, came upon them? Well, in our day, too often, it's, it's the norm. It's, it's, the percentages are way too high where, well, we have this credit card. If we have trouble, we'll put it down. But here's the problem with that. It's still debt when you put it down. It's still money that you owe. In the old days, they saved for the rainy day. They put money aside. You say, how can I do that? Well, remember... We're not just talking about making more money for your money going up. We're talking about reducing that is a way to do this too, right? Shake things up. Take things away from yourself. Move to a different home that's smaller and less payment. Move to an apartment if, if you have to. You'll be happier if you're living within your means. But <clears throat> create some space where you can save. God's word regularly tells us to prepare for the future. Mary Hunt, that's the author of this book that I mentioned, says, as you receive income, transfer 10% of it immediately into long-term savings. You say, how can I do that? Say, Pastor, if I give 10% tithe and then I give to the poor and <clears throat> then I'm saving 10%, that's, that's 30% potentially that that could be. Exactly. What if you lived on the 70? You can and as you do these other things, you'll feel strength that's coming every day of your life as things build. The blessing of the Lord because you're giving. The, the security of the savings that is there. You may not be able to get those shoes every time you want them. You may not be able to get that fishing pole 
you may not be able to do some of the things that you've always done freely. But if you're in trouble, you should not have done it. In 1950, when Frank McNamara invented the first multi-use credit card, it was called the Diners Club. Anybody here ever familiar with that? Okay, the Diners Club. Uh, Eventually, nearly one-half million Diners Club cardholders came into existence. Frank McNamara died at 40 after inventing that first credit card, and he probably would be shocked to see what's happened today. 50 years later since he checked out how we use credit cards. It changed the world in terms of self-reliance, right? Because we just think we have the safety valve and it's still money we're spending. And personal entitlement. People think, well, I deserve this and they just put it down and yet it builds and grows and it causes us grief as we move forward. But more than that, it's blinded us to that instinctual need to save. That is the worst thing about the credit card is we're relying on it and we're not saving and that instinct that is naturally there has has been pushed away. We've come to accept credit cards as, as, as the emergency fund, but we should save, save. Now, I, I preach for change. Every time I preach, I preach for change. I preach for growth. And I have to grow and wait. Sometimes I'm the one who grew the most this week as I, as I put these sermons together. So if I'm pushing you a little bit, it's only because I love you, I don't know your situation, and it's a gentle way for the Lord to come to you and say, I want to bring you blessing, I long to bring you blessing, follow, follow, and I'll bless it. Proverbs 21.5, good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. Good planning includes saving. Rule four, <clears throat> manage God's money well. Proverbs 27, 23, be diligent to know the state of your flocks and attend to your herds. Okay, so we're taking it back <clears throat> a few thousand years, a couple thousand years here with flocks and herds, but if you go to the Middle East, you'll still see them there. But it's a business. <laughs> That's a business. How many sheep do you have? How many cattle do you have? How much do they weigh? What's it cost to go to the market? What's Counting the cost in all these things leads to prosperity we just saw, but it, the Bible says be diligent to know. So that means you have to calculate it. One of the biggest problems we have is we don't even know what we're dealing with. We don't know where we're out of control in our spending because we're not tracking it. So have a spending plan. Now, I, I went away from the B word there. I got real positive and called it a spending plan because you hate the word budget, right? It's restrictive to you. Don't think of it that way. It's blessing. It's blessing to have a, 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 a spending plan. Now, this is right out of the book. Step one, I've condensed it a little bit. Write down your total household take-home monthly income. I know this is real practical, but I think we need it sometimes. Number two, write down your fixed essential expenses, like your rent, your car, the big things that are there every month. Write down your essential variable expenses, 
your utilities, your food, household expenses, gasoline, medications, public transportation, shoes, and clothing. Step four, and, and, and if, you, if you get this book, you'll, you'll find that grid in there to help you with this. <clears throat> uh, non-essential expenses like entertainment, eating out. You know, I know a brother once who said he was shocked because someone was helping him with his finances, and they said, how much money do you think you spend eating out each month? He said, I don't know, 100, 150. But when he tracked it over a few months, it was an average of, of $400 a month that he spent eating out. Now, that is something that if you realize that's getting away from you, you can reel that in, right? That's a pretty big number, and you can change those things pretty easily, and you'll have a lot more peace in your life if you do, if you don't have it to do that. And then the eating out, the hobbies, what you, and, and then step five, miscellaneous monthly expenses. Check your, your, your checkbook or your records <clears throat> um, where you keep your records on your computer for reports of financial software and tracking for the past several months to find any expenses that you may have left out. You might have some unique things that happened and you even need to plan for those. Um, some of those things, if you take three years of miscellaneous expenses that surprised you and you average it, perhaps you could put a payment in monthly that covers that. Might include your taxes that are coming up and some, some other things, but you have to pay for that too. So, so, so you need to count that in your, in your bills. And you can see where some of this could be a surprise and get away from you, right? And the total is step six. So then you look at it, you cut, you adjust, you tweak. So Pastor Randy's here and every year we do a budget. I did this with Pastor John for a lot of years for the church and we look at how much income we've had in the past year. And we, 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 we try to forecast a little bit and figure out where our budget is. And then we have everything that we want to put in that, that could be for ministries and great things we want to do. And then if that number exceeds, the things we want to do, if it exceeds the number that we have that's reasonable for our income, then we make cuts. That's why tithing's kind of cool because some ministry things we can't do. So we'll cut them. Why? Because we have to exist. Because... Because its stewardship is a principle of God too, not just faith. That's a holy tension in the Bible, stewardship and faith. And you've got to balance those things. So if we're coming for vision, you ever notice how we'll take special offerings for visionary things? Because if we drag down on our budget, here's what will happen. We'll have to let more people go if we don't manage well, and eventually we'll lose everything, just like everybody else. You have to live within your means. And that's what we do here. And so, man, we... Don't we, Pastor Randy, we just cut. I remember one day we, we came in and an insurance thing hit us. This was last year. Had it all set. It looked pretty good. Felt good about the year moving in. And bam, one week before the budgets came out, $45,000 insurance hit. So 30 minutes before we were going to approve this with someone, we had to cut out $45,000. And that, you, that's it's just real life, right? It's real. You say, I have faith. Some people who have faith are overspending on their credit cards and going into debt, and it's not really faith, it's stupidity. Balance faith with stewardship. Move, let God bring provision. Don't, don't just go get it. If it costs you a great deal. So cut, adjust, tweak, and then track your spending. All right, I'm behind in this service on time, all right? Next thing, now it might surprise you what I'm about to say, but manage your credit, and I want to talk to you about credit cards. You need to have one. There are some people that told you, don't ever get a credit card, get rid of it. Some of you have had problems with credit cards, but if, 
unless we can figure out how to turn back the clock a half century or so, you need to manage some credit card debt. Now, you can't go beyond your means and you should pay it off every month, but let me explain myself. Manage your credit rating to achieve a high level of credit worthiness. And that's why I like Mary Hunt's book and these principles because it's a 21st century look. Without good credit, it's difficult to to buy a home or qualify for the best insurance rates, get a good car uh, percentage on your loan. Let me explain myself. Here are a few things that help. So, so have a credit card, but pay it. have at least one card that you pay off every month. So you want those credit cards that give you a 20-day grace period to pay it off, right? You want the lowest percentage possible in case you accidentally go, go over. And you need to have at least three payments a year on that card. Now, you could put an automatic payment on it. And if you have credit card problems, if the husband has a problem, I'm going to start there because it looked bad the other way. But if the, if the husband has the problem, don't let him have the credit card. I mean, you guys can decide that together because he could say, yeah, I'm a doofus and I can't help it. I, 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 saw, I saw that at Costco and I need a welder. You know, I, I, just <laughs> stuff happens, right? So don't give it to him if, that's, if he's that impulsive, right? Or vice versa. Now, um, but, but, but you need to have something on it so you could have a, an automatic payment. If you both have trouble, put it in the lockbox and put an automatic payment on it at the bank. I mean, so you're not using it. Just put it away. Do these things. Pay your bills on time. This is how you manage your credit rating. There's, there's a score that's calculated called the FICO score that you have to watch closely the percentage of your borrowing, borrowing compared to your salary or your score goes down, and I'll show you how that'll hurt you. And don't file for bankruptcy. As a matter of fact, you may need to do it, but be careful about these credit managing things uh, that will call the companies and say, we'll give you half, we don't have it. And you may get out of it quick, but it's gonna cost you because your credit rating goes down the tubes. And so here's what that could look like. You say, well, who, why do I care about my credit rating? So put this up on the screen. This is a car that costs $10,000 that has a three-year payment schedule on it. The credit score at the top is the highest score, so you get the lowest rating. This was like a year and a half ago, so you can do even better than this now. But the lowest annual percentage rate is 4.2 if you have good credit. That amounts to $296 a year. Or, I'm sorry, the highest credit rating. The lowest credit rating, look at that. I have a nephew who had to do this. Almost 18% on the car. That's $60 a month over just three years. $60 a month, that's $720 a year times three. 2160 if I calculate it right. Wow. Because you didn't have a good credit rating. You say, well, I'm not going to get a credit card because I don't believe in them. Well, you say, you know, you, you won't get the lowest house payment if you don't have a good credit rating, right? You say, well, I'm going to pay cash. You can't even get in an apartment. They look to see your credit rating. If you don't have a good credit rating, they won't let you in because they want to see that people are reasonable and responsible. So I know there are people who tell you, you know, don't have one, but it's the 21st century. Have one, but manage it very very well and be careful. A growing number of companies make hiring decisions on your credit rating because it does say a lot. Landlords look at it. Banks, credit unions, credit cards, companies, auto financing, they all look at this stuff. It's essential to have one to, to um, book a hotel, to get a plane ticket, to rent a car. But if your card has no annual fee and a 20-day interest-free grace period, for paying off the balance, then pay it off every month. Get that card and pay it off every month. 
That's, that's a rule that Karen and I have had our whole lives. We pay it off every month. 32 years, there were a couple years when we were younger, where it got out a little balance, much, a little balance, but not much because we said, oh man, and we had to bring it back. But it's blessed us because we're, we're not carrying excessive debt. What I'm against is buying more on your credit card than you can easily pay for at the end of the month. Don't buy on your credit card what you cannot pay for easily at the end of the month. Here's the truth. A credit card, the right credit card used smartly by someone with financial intelligence can be useful and can help you pay less. That's the truth in the 21st century. Okay, send all your cards to Randy Campbell if you disagree with that, all your comments, all right? Rule five. Borrow only what you know you can repay. Some say death to all borrowing, but honestly, I do not believe the Bible says that. Speaking of the righteous man, God says in Ezekiel 18, 8, this is the righteous man. It's the chapter starts by saying righteous. He does not lend at usury or take excessive interest. So God's saying that a righteous man can lend, which would mean that it's okay to borrow, but not at these excessively crazy high rates that you can't pay back. The biblical principle in the Bible is don't become a slave to the lender. Don't borrow more than you can repay. Don't get it at excessive rates that just spiral everything out of control. Don't become a slave to the lender. And this means don't borrow unless necessary and don't borrow more than you can easily repay. A good number for your house payment, get that interest, get the good credit rating, get that interest rate down. 25% of your income monthly is, is, is a good balance there if you're, gonna, if you're gonna borrow. Having 20% of it to put down will ensure... I know that's hard, but it'll ensure that if the economy falls out on you, you'll always come out at least even. See, so you're, you're, you're just being careful. You say, I can't do that. Well, just work till you can do it. You know, follow the principles and God will bless you as you go forward and it'll get better. Proverbs twenty two twenty six: Don't be a man who strikes hands in pledge or puts up security for debts if you lack the means to pay. And there it is right there. There's the principle. If you, don't lack, if, you, if you lack the means to pay easily, don't do it. Your very bed will be snatched from under you. That said, here, here it is. Don't borrow more than you can repay. Randy Alcorn says, Our self-centered, debt-centered economy is like the electronic bug zappers. They emit a light that's attractive to insects that blissfully fly right into the trap only to be killed. Dealing with debt, not managing debt well, not keeping it down to the point where you can pay it within your means and easily is like owning a python. You really want to know what you're doing if you have a python. You want to exercise a great deal of caution if you own a python. Because if you slack off or lose control, it can strangle you to death. And that's the way debt is. It will strangle you if you're not careful and cautious about things. Luke 14, 28. Is there anyone here who planning to build a new house doesn't first sit down and figure the cost so you'll know if you can complete it. If you only get the foundation laid and then run out of money, you're going to look pretty foolish. Everyone passing 
by will poke fun at you. He started something he couldn't finish. So these are things that we calculate, that we make sure we have it in our hands as we move. Here's the bottom line. Debt is not a good thing. I'm not saying debt is a good thing. The goal is being debt-free is ideal, and that should be your goal. That should be your goal. But not very many people, you know, you can build equity in a house. Not very many people can pay cash for their house. So you have to just do this. You manage your debt in a very cautious and reasonable way as you move forward, and you build equity. Debt is to be avoided as much as possible. So Mary Hunt, $100,000 in credit card debt. She got into God's word, started following the principles, her and her husband. They had a failed business that was part of it. And she kind of forced her husband to go into it, just nagged him to make more money because she was behind and, and then the business fell apart. But their, their marriage rallied. Their lives rallied because they started to do the right thing. They started to live by these principles. And she's a financial advisor. You can see her on TV. She's in magazines everywhere, Christian and secular. And she once did it bad, but she's doing it very, very well now. And I want that to be an encouragement to you. If you're sitting here feeling, I, I, there's just no hope. There's hope. It begins today. You've been praying and God has given you something to give you the way out from now on. Because he loves you. And he has blessing ahead for you and your future.